0: My top pick is the Zen Blend. It's a lifesaver for those of us who are caffeine sensitive and not to mention comes in the most charming packaging. So why not elevate your coffee experience with London Nootropics? Discover the perfect blend, find your flow and enjoy an exclusive 20% discount with the code Returns at londonnootropics.com. Hello everyone and welcome to Saturn Returns with me, Kagi Dunlop. This is a new podcast that aims to bring clarity during transitional times where there can be confusion and doubt. Pausing this for a moment because I've got something exciting to share. Today's episode is brought to you by London Nootropics, the masters of crafting adaptogenic coffee blends that don't just taste heavenly, but they also boost your energy the right way. Now we all love that zesty kick from caffeine. It snaps us awake by outsmarting those sleepy adenosine receptors in our brain. But here's the kicker. Caffeine can hike up our cortisol, giving us the jitters or anxiety, particularly if you're like me and caffeine sensitive. But that's where the magic of adaptogens steps in. These natural heroes level out our cortisol, smoothing the energy boost from caffeine without the downsides. Plus, while caffeine tends to rush in and fade away, leaving you crashing, adaptogens extend that energy, keeping you vibrant without reaching for another cup. So if you want to find your most productive self with lion's mane and rhodiola in their flow blend, Cordyceps in Mojo is known to increase our aerobic capacity, oxygen flow and boost ATP. So it's perfect before a run or workout or when you're feeling fatigued. So if you're intrigued and you want to dive deeper into their blend secrets and discover which adaptogens sync with you, try visiting their website. And because you're part of the Saturn Returns family, enjoy a special 20% off at London Nootropics, adaptogenic coffee with the code Saturn Returns.
1: Enjoy. No matter how potentially alienating it feels to be that one non drinker at a party when all your friends are saying, Where's the old Kagi? Mm. and you're like, This is the real Kagi. Mm. Love me. That can be so painful.
0: Hello, everyone. I am speaking to you from my sitting room in London. Um, You've just heard a clip from today's guest, who is called Ruby Warrington. Ruby has been a huge inspiration for me. She's an author, speaker, and her own podcast host. Through all of her work, her guiding mission is to help people engage with life on a deeper, more meaningful level. And I can really say that she's done that for me. We're so lucky that we're going to be meeting in person because... Ruby isn't actually normally based here. She's based in New York. So it's a real treat for me to get to sit down and have her on my my sofa in London and to have this very, very inspiring conversation. Before we get to Ruby, we're going to check in with our astrology guide, Flo Devereux, who's going to be dropping in throughout the series to help explain a little bit more about what Saturn Returns means. In our first episode, she explained how when Saturn comes back to the same position it was in at your time of birth, it prompts a period of reflection and transition to a more authentic way of living. So I wanted to know why Saturn in particular has this association with change and growth.
2: If you see images of Saturn, he often has a sickle because Saturn cuts away what is no longer necessary. Mm. So like I said, Saturn is on the edge of our visible solar system. And so Saturn has this kind of holds things it's the it's a containing energy and so saturn rules boundaries and limits and is very much to do with the laws of nature so a nice story about saturn that relates to that is in greek mythology there's the period called the golden age and that was when saturn ruled and it was a time when all the crops blossomed on time and the harvest came out at the right time. And every people did die, but they died in their sleep. In antiquity, a lot of farmers would worship Saturn because Saturn is, knows how to regulate systems and divine timing. Mm. Do you know the myth of Uranus and Gaia? So this is like primordial mythological stuff before the gods that are more personified came along you had Gaia which was the earth goddess and you had Uranus or Uranus which is the sky god and they were the mother and father of everything and every night Uranus would come down and depending on your interpretation either having sex with Gaia or raping her <sighs> and she got really fed up with it she had lots of children and she went to all of her children and said I'm fed up with this I don't want to be procreating anymore and who's going to step up and kill their father and every god said no and was terrified of uranus this massive awesome sky god and saturn said i will i'll do it so in that story again you can kind of see saturn steps up and takes responsibility for things that other people don't okay. want to so in your charts the position of saturn really shows what area of life where can you develop mastery through struggle, because Saturn teaches us, like, discipline, because it's all about limits and boundaries. There are laws of nature, and if you learn how to manage and navigate the laws of nature, you can become a master of something.
0: I find the way flow explains that really interesting, because it obviously suggests that Saturn is all about discipline and, and owning up to things that are quite difficult and exercising our boundaries. If you have any questions for Flo, you can find her at Astrology for the Curious on Instagram. And you can find me at Kaggy's World. Our guest today is Ruby Warrington. Now, at the top of the show, you would have heard a segment of our conversation. And I I just want to say how what an inspiring conversation it was to have. So, Ruby's work became familiar for me when I, um, I heard her as a guest for Lacey Phillips' Expanded podcast... And I then sort of fell into her own podcast, which is called Sober Curious. And for me personally, my own sober journey has been huge. And it's been particularly prevalent during my Saturn returns, where I've made a massive, massive shift in my life. And so having her on this is just hugely expansive for me. And I've learned so much from her podcast, and I feel like I know her so much already. So it's it's really incredible to have her sitting here with me today. So I really hope you enjoy it. I hope you get something from it, and I hope it resonates with you. Hello. Hello. So (laughs) you wouldn't know this, but you have been actually like a really pivotal person in my life over the last year, basically. Specifically, your podcast, Sober Curious, was something that's been um, incredibly expansive for me. So it's such an honor for me to be sitting in my sitting room (laughs) with you, and actually quite strange, to be honest.
1: (laughs) Thank you, that's so lovely to hear. I always love to hear that that that, that works specifically. Mm -hmm. So be curious of all the different things that I've done, is having a positive impact on people. Because obviously this podcast is about, you know, once Saturn returns and how Mm. to navigate it. Mm.
0: And I would have loved to have you on this, even if you had no anchoring in astrology, but you also do. So it's like, you've you've got these two very important things. One is the astrology aspect, which we'll talk about. And then one Mm. is the sobriety. Mm. And for me personally going through my own Saturn returns this was such an important part of that journey. You know, stepping into adulthood and and taking responsibility for stuff which is really mm. essentially what it's about. Yeah. So, I mean there's just so much there that I is. want to ask you about, <laughs> but I guess to anyone that doesn't know your podcast or mm. know exactly what sober curious means mm. even though it's pretty obvious in the title, would you just sort of explain to me
1: yeah, what it what it is? Well, the podcast is an offshoot of a book and it was a reflection of my own journey navigating my own relationship to alcohol for about seven or eight years before that so it's been about nine years now that I've been questioning Mm -hmm. and being cute and getting curious that mean that's literally what the title or that term refers to being to be sober curious is really to choose to question all the ways that alcohol impacts us all the ways that we use alcohol individually and as a society rather than just blindly going along with drinking culture and I describe it as that a dominant drinking culture because in in the UK and also in the US it is absolutely the norm to drink mm-hmm. it's just what we do and we do it pretty well right
2: well, the, English do. Um,
1: the English really do and uh, you know I live I moved to New York eight years ago I'm from London originally but New York as well is a very social town and much of that is lubricated with alcohol in the same way um so yeah for me I found myself questioning hold on is how is this really making me feel how much of how much of the way that I'm drinking is actually exacerbating and contributing to the overall sense of anxiety and just kind of uneasiness that I'm feeling in my life and that was where I was at and it it wasn't my satin return it was just before my first satin square which we were kind of discussing I don't want to get too technical (laughs) but this is something that you explained to me earlier, which I yeah. was unaware of, which right. is quite
0: interesting for anyone that doesn't know, like I did, yeah. is that your Saturn square is essentially that you go through
1: mini. <laughs> kind of. So if we, I'm going to break it down as simply as I can, and we might as well get this bit out of the way. <laughs> so Saturn takes about 28 years to go around our whole chart. So we have our Saturn return, meaning it comes back to the same point as it is in our birth chart every 28 years. So every seven years. Saturn will make an angle to our Saturn. So after seven years it's a Saturn square and then 14 years Saturn opposition, 21 a square, 28, Saturn return. and then you go again, 35 Saturn square, 42 Saturn opposition. So you have these mm-hmm. Saturn you'll get little reminders of what what Saturn is teaching you in this life. Every seven years, you'll get little reminders, little knocks to get you back onto that path of maturity, back onto taking responsibility for your path, not expecting things to just miraculously sort themselves out. Mm. I think that will resonate for a lot of people, actually, that sort of seven years. Well, if you were even, you know, it was kind of breaking it down a bit earlier, if we even think about how we develop as humans age seven is when we first start to gain real independence from our parents age 14 we're going through puberty and we're really looking for like no I want to want to live my own life thank you you know 21 I mean that's the legal drinking age in the US and it kind of reflects our coming of age into adulthood and then as you say 28 is often when we have you know, it's a lot of time when people will think about they're getting, taking on more responsibility at work or maybe they're thinking about settling down, starting families, those sorts of things. And you can see how transitional all those times are yeah, like looking back and exactly. also how painful often they often, are. But they can be. The, pain come, the pain, the way I see it, the more resistance we have to whatever responsibilities we're being asked to pick up and carry on Mm -hmm. the more resistance we have to that the more painful it will be (laughs) right yeah something to take note of so my my sober curious it was a bit before my saturn square i guess i was maybe 30 33 34 when i really started to question it um but yeah i just then you hadn't no i had you know i'd had a very from my kind of teens into my even college years I didn't drink and that's a whole other long story I was in a really abusive very controlling relationship with a guy who basically banned me from drinking alcohol so in a way alcohol helped me get the courage to get out of that relationship Mm -hmm. because I started drinking here and there with a friend in college and it sort of gave me the courage in a way to just walk away and that was around age 21 so that was a satin square moment (laughs) um and then I kind of you know I started working in journalism um which is a quite a a boozy social social, you know field um and I really loved drinking I was a good drinker like I would never black out I never had nights where I forgot I never quote-unquote embarrassed myself like it just I I never got (laughs) I never got sick like I just didn't have any of those kind of problems Mm. with drinking yeah of course I had hangovers but by and large it was just fun times it coincided with me meeting my who is my husband now and he was a music and a club promoter and so free drinks everywhere it was it was was kind of fab until it wasn't. (laughs) So then when wasn't it? Well it wasn't when you know I, I worked my way up the kind of magazine ladder and landed a job at Sunday Times Style Magazine and I remember when I first got that job it was really um It represented a lot of what I'd been working towards and what I wanted for myself career-wise. And I actually took an extended break from drinking when I first got the job, just because I knew I really wanted to have all my wits about me and I wanted to be really sharp. But once I kind of settled into it, it kind of crept in again. And when I say crept in, I mean, I started using alcohol fairly heavily, but no more heavily than everybody else Mm. I knew. And when I look back, at how much I was drinking and the way I was drinking and the way we, when I say we, my social group and we collectively drink, like, wow, we really... Problem drinking is normal drink, like, is so normalized. Mm. You know, alcohol abuse is how most of us actually use alcohol. Mm. But I would never drink more than two nights in a row. You know, I'd never... I'd never drink a bottle of wine at home on my own. I wouldn't even drink on my own. Like all those kind of markers that we have as kind of like, oh, that's problem drinking. So I still never thought of it as problem drinking. The problem was my anxiety was through the roof. Mm. I couldn't sleep properly through the night. I'd wake up in the middle of the night pretty much every night, just like full of anxiety. I was often exhausted in the office and feeling quite tearful, not sleeping properly. And just really feeling quite depressed, even though I had on paper all of the things I'd been working so hard for. Nothing really yeah. felt meaningful to me. And I began to just draw a real um link or notice a real link between my drinking and my anxiety in particular. Yeah, would I would just go through the roof if I was hungover like unbearably.
0: And it takes it takes quite a lot of time because obviously if you if as you said, you didn't have like a problem with drinking or whatever, but Once you start noticing that correlation between, okay, if I did a graph here and we showed like my anxiety and normalizing and then me drinking and then it like spiking, but it takes a really long time for you to actually sit back and be like, this is undeniable now. Exactly. And I had a very similar experience, but it's funny because it is the social norm to sort of binge drink essentially. And problem drinking actually should just be like, is it affecting me in a negative way on a personal level? And I don't think people approach drinking in a personalized way. It's just like this one size fits all. This is what you do. You should be able to handle it, like get a grip kind of thing. And they then think that the repercussions are about other stuff and numb it with another thing, Mm -hmm. like prescription drugs or whatever. Mm -hmm. But actually like maybe drinking isn't for everyone. And maybe, you know, that's why I love what you're creating because it's just a way of normalizing sobriety, which is bizarre that that is such a niche thing unless you've got such a problem and it's really interesting, actually, because I've never heard you speak about your own journey and how actually it wasn't like that you were backing out. Because, I mean, for me, it was definitely, I would always go to extremes. Mm. And so it was very problematic. And sometimes I wouldn't, but it was hard to know when that moment mm. was, that sort of Russian roulette of like that one drink too many and I've, mm-hmm. and I've gone. And I used it as, as an escapism, which, again, I think a lot of people mm. will relate to. But, you know, the fact that it wasn't a problem for you and yet you still had these sort of pings and downloads that you're like this isn't this isn't right for me this isn't serving me yeah and I think so many people will relate to that and I think it's really important to start creating a community around people that you know don't and and normalizing that because I even find when I say to people I you know I don't drink at the moment or I don't really like the term sober because Mm. people automatically think she's in recovery or like she can't it's a choice,
1: mm-hmm. you know, it's a choice that we make. And I think that that needs to be far more of an open dialogue. Yeah, you said, made a few really interesting points there. The f- I mean, the first one, people ask me, you know, why did you write Sober Curious? I mean, ultimately, I wrote it because actually, once I started talking about my own struggles or my own conflicted feelings about alcohol openly, all of a sudden, it gave loads of other people permission to go, oh, you know what, me too. And can we actually talk about this? And so I wrote it for that. But the, the wider mission... It's really, I've realized, to make it as normal not to drink as it is to drink. That mm. feels to me like it would really even the playing field because I think the other really important thing you said, alcohol is not a one size fits all substance. And there are so many different things that play into that from our biology. Like our bodies are all different. We all process alcohol differently differently. Um, our upbringing and what we've kind of learned about drinking and what we've learned about drinking culture, but also our psychological state um, and also the kind of the the community that we're part of. All these things can have a huge impact impact on how alcohol affects us. And yet we're all, like you say, expected to be able to drink, to have fun when we drink, (laughs) to become more x y or z when we drink more fun like i'm sure you've heard that plenty of times oh you're not drinking why are you being so boring mm, oh well, i'm boring I, i'm boring am i if i don't have alcohol mm. inside me you know um and again going back to the idea of we've had this very black and white approach to sobriety and to drinking it's either you're an alcoholic or you're a normal drinker and i think it's just that there are many many shades of gray in terms of alcohol addiction and alcohol dependency and as many shades of gray as there are human beings even yeah and ultimately this is really about the reason I encourage people to ask questions and the questions can get very deep and soul-searching people don't want to go there people don't but ultimately this is you know knowing ourselves and knowing what works for us is what this is all about it's not about saying alcohol is bad or evil or it's bad to drink or you're weak if you drink or any of those things and it's not about judging anybody else's drinking choices it's about helping each individual feel so empowered to be able to make the right choice for them and to recognize their relationship with it
2: Mm. because
0: I think also and you touched on it it's like alcohol addiction and, and problem drinking it's like well if I'm not you know blacking out and damaging myself or whatever that therefore it's not an issue but I definitely know people that I can just see Mm. that it might not be now but give that 10 years and let that develop and you can you can just see it's like it's a dependency that's not Mm -hmm. healthy Mm -hmm. and I think that that's something that isn't people don't watch and I do think with alcoholism I mean you know this is a quite not dangerous thing to say because a lot of alcoholics I I'm not belittling the illness side of it at all but I do believe that if you start approaching a relationship with it and really looking at it and looking at what it's giving you or what it's what it's numbing for you mm. whatever that void may mm-hmm. be you can get a grasp on that early and not allow it to be something that gets so out of control that you literally have to remove it entirely from your life exactly. and it becomes this this monster that you have to deal with daily yeah
1: yeah, that's really well put. I think the the big the biggest sober curious kind of question of all is why am I using alcohol? And it came up for me with a friend recently. It's really interesting to have watched all pretty much all the people I'm close to now are sober curious. <laughs> mm. And not because I'm going around telling them, You're you should be you should quit drinking, you've got a problem or anything like that. People are just genuinely curious and they've seen the positive impact yeah. that it's had on my life. They're and like then, oh okay, yeah, maybe we can actually I'm quite looking forward to hanging out with you tonight. It means I don't have to drink now yeah. that's more, more like whereas I used to get oh you're being boring now I get oh good I don't have to drink tonight. Yeah, it's a relief <laughs> exactly they're like I'm seeing
0: Ruby therefore like exactly it, I can have a that's night cool. off yeah and it, that's awful though that people still at this age feel like oh god I, I'm going out I'm gonna have to even if they don't want to and I think it's amazing for people to stand up and be like you don't have to and this you is like my experience and exactly. hopefully inspired
1: them to be like actually I'm not going to exactly but yeah I was speaking to a friend about it and she was kind of like acknowledging she's like you know I've really I've been able to notice now that I mainly used alcohol to kind of keep other people happy Mm -hmm. because it was expected of me you know her family are very like jovial drinkers and they all love to get together and have a good old knees up and she became you know the version of her that they that was expected in those scenarios Mm. so for her it's been quite a relief she's like oh now I just
2: now I just don't have to
1: do that hard absolutely whereas i acknowledged i was mainly using it to change the way i felt right i wanted to, i was using it to feel more confident or to feel more relaxed and i think when you're using it to change for an emotional reason it can actually be trickier there's slightly in- more to navigate there but still very difficult if you yeah if your family if your colleagues if your partner is a drinker and you drink together it can really... Well, it's that thing of ceremony, yeah. like we said. Yes,
0: yeah, absolutely, like, you know, in the its ritual. its sort of original format, that is what it is. So it's, there's, mm-hmm. there's a bond there. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's two things that we just sort of touched on. There's the friendship aspect that, mm-hmm. you know, it's part of the role you play in that community that you have of those friends. That's one thing I found incredibly difficult because I was playing that role. Yeah. And that sort of version of me that, you know, whenever you change, you have to... Accept that certain people might not be in your life as you do, Mm -hmm. sort of like an up leveling. Mm. And there's an isolation in that process because Mm. then there's a space between where you were and where you're going to be and the people that are going to come and Mm. be around you. Mm. And that was for me a constant like back and forth because I didn't want to feel isolated or alone. And I didn't want to be that person that was like, I'm not drinking, they'd be like, oh, Kagi's being boring. We want like old Kaggy. <sighs> and so I was torn between like what I knew in my in my soul yeah. and like old Kaggy. And that and that person that I created that I'd spent a decade forming that validated me, but it was causing me so much upset on mm-hmm. another level that I had to shed it. And there's that, you know, I think that people will totally relate to that. It's like friendships and how we bond over it. And also it's a thing of well, if you're not drinking, you're highlighting that I am. And when they say you're being boring, it actually means like, I don't want you to be of sound mind and see me behaving this way. I want us both to sort of spiral together. And there is something bonding about that, even though it's negative. It's like you kind of, I don't know, like fester in this demise a little bit of yourselves and behave like in your worst versions. And it's it's very strange. Mm -hmm. But then also something that you mentioned about how I think a lot of people will think, you know, how on earth would I date sober? And that is an incredibly challenging thing because even in my mind now, the prospect, I mean, I've just broken up with someone, the prospect of dating someone, but I am at a place now where I'm like the right person won't mind. And it's not at all by any means that I would want someone sober. It's about their relationship with it and them being like not needing me to drink to make themselves feel okay. yeah, and But it's also this thing of, you feel like you're not partaking and you're not fully there if you're not drinking. And so I'm just curious how you got over that obstacle.
1: Okay, I'm gonna to speak to the friendship piece first because I <clears> loved what you said, what you described was so eloquent and it's so challenging, that mm. piece. <clears throat> I recently discovered a work of somebody called Toko Turner, and she writes a lot about belonging and what it means to belong. But she talks about how inevitably we go through periods in our life, and this could coincide with quite a Saturn return sort of thing, actually. We go through periods in life when a period of self-imposed exile is necessary in order for us to find the truer true version of ourselves mm-hmm. and a truer belonging with people who will accept us. As we are, right? I heard, I think it was Mark Groves was talking about her and it just
0: landed for me so much. It was Mm. like how we will sacrifice our authenticity Mm. to feel like we belong. Yes. And I know that. I know what that feels like so much. And it's like- So many people will. We we have these two, you know, extreme needs in us to be our authentic selves, but also to feel like we belong. Mm -hmm. And when they're at conflict with each other, we will sacrifice ourselves to belong.
1: And alcohol eases the pain of that sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Alcohol makes it so much easier to cut, literally, if you think about even the phrase, f- to fit in, in order to fit in, we'll have to cut parts of ourselves mm. off, you know, in order to fit into that mold or to play that role that you were talking about. And that's so painful on soul level. Mm. So alcohol eases the pain of that as well, of the well, fitting in, the pain of fitting in, right? Mm. It's, so, it's so deep, <laughs> I love it.
0: So I feel like I interrupted yeah. you a little bit on, that thing about getting to your authenticity, you exile yourself. I do want you to expand a little bit on that because I do think that that's, I think some people will get to a point where they're doing it, they're doing it, they're on that path and then they're like, "I'm. this is too painful because I'm alone. Mm. And also I think there's this sort of misconception that if you go sober, you're not gonna have pain or like you're not gonna feel bad things. Like if, you, if you've got to a point where you're, you're associating drinking with pain, and that it's causing you upset, then you're like, well, I'll go sober sober and I won't. But of course, like, it's almost like a deeper kind of pain because you're having to really look at and feel those feelings that you've been numbing for however long.
1: Absolutely. So on the the point of exile, yeah, that's, we have such a deep human need to not be alone. Like it speaks to our deepest fear of being literally cast out of our family and left alone kind of in the forest to just perish because Mm. we're too much to carry or we're, we're not contributing something useful so we have this huge need and desire to to belong but not to fit in it's not about fitting in right but true belonging is about really like i touched on finding a community where we really feel like we're appreciated for exactly who we are um and it can take time but mm. recognizing that you're doing something to fit in is the first step on the piece about the period of potentially feeling a little lonely or feeling like an outcast there's so much this is when we really need to cultivate trust Mm -hmm. that when we're following what is true for us trust in ourselves trust in ourselves trust in our path as well and trust that the more we radiate the energy of our true authentic self that will attract Mm -hmm. people who Resonate with that to us And it's the trust muscle that we have
0: to start It's actually, the trust muscle <laughs> Not only activating it because it's always active But following it and yeah, then believing seeing how it unfolds
1: Believing in it, exactly And and trusting oh, yeah. That yeah, no yeah. matter how potentially Alienating it feels To be that one non-drinker at a party When all your friends are saying Where's the old Kagi? Mm. And you're like, this is the real Kagi mm. Love me, that can be so painful
0: And also the, the going home Like at a point where everyone's sort of getting to that drunken phase mm. and like silliness, and and being like, I'm going to go home and going home alone. Like, there's so much pain in that. Oh, there there's so much isolation, but you have to go through those
1: experiences. And you know what? You're you're closer to yourself in that experience than you would be if you stayed out. And this mm. is also about cultivating a much closer relationship to yourself. Mm. So you spoke about you know the initial initially when you first quit drinking, if it's been a very heavy toxic physical load for you and you've been experiencing anxiety and horrible hangovers, then yeah, immediately, wow, I feel so great. And that kind of feeling can build over the first few months really of quitting drinking. But it drinking. dissipates and it normalizes. However, <laughs> it becomes quite normal to feel that good. You, you sort of get a new, an up level in your in your normal and then you'll be asked to to feel some of the deeper wounds that you may have been medicating mm-hmm. with alcohol. The reason you don't feel like you fit in Mm. You know, the reasons that the big, the deeper whys that you're using alcohol, why do I feel like my family only love me when I'm playing this role? You Mm. know, why do I only feel confident enough to date when I am slightly drunk? You know, Mm. what, what am I, what am I really using this for? So that's when the the deeper kind of self-work comes in. And actually that's, we have to do that work on our own ideally if it gets you know if it if it becomes very challenging with the help of a therapist or even a coach or even an astrology or a healer you know who can help us navigate some of those deeper questions yeah and from there it really does become about trusting that the more the more you align with your real authentic self the more people like I said who resonate with that will be drawn right. to you and will just cross your path and they just do I mean yeah well that I guess that was my experience in-
0: LA that kind of started, and it was through my Saturn Returns that I kind of was like, I'm making big changes, and for a moment there was a lot of isolation, and, and there still to a degree is. And then, but people just started arriving in my life mm. that were just more like-minded. And and I think for people listening, a way of, of navigating that is that in the same way that anxiety feels like for me, it kind of feels like bad pins and needles mm. and it kind of is in the back of your neck and that sort of like prickly feeling of something's off. Yeah. When you stop drinking as well, all those intuitive feelings get so much more intense to mm. the point where they're undeniable mm. and then, and you can no longer be like, oh, I feel this way because I'm hungover or because I'm drunk, which is just like confusing everything. And then when you start having that and activating that and be- trusting it, mm it becomes very clear who's supposed to be in your life and and who's not. But there's also a lot of pain in that because our minds are also so conditioned to be like, well, you know, this works with like how I've been brought up socially or what sort of group I should be in or what sort of boyfriend I should have. And your body can be telling you something totally different and trust. There's one thing at the moment I'm finding incredibly hard because my mind is still like Mm. replaying certain narratives, not necessarily about the drinking, Mm. but just about like, how i should fit in or how i'm supposed to whereas my body is telling me often something slightly different and again that's a trust muscle of being like it is i'm going to follow this even though there's no set path with it Mm -hmm. but i'm just going to take each step and know that things will fall into place and that's like a terrifying thing yeah our
1: our society doesn't work that way because actually it makes that makes us very powerful Having this incredible intuitive instrument that we're embodying that's helping guide us towards decisions that are right for us rather than make choices that make life easier for other people Mm -hmm. or mean that we fit into this neat little mold that can be marketed at really easily from certain companies. Do you know what I mean? It's like there are breaking out of that mold and thinking for ourselves is extremely empowering. And it goes against everything society wants because it means we're no longer a predictable entity. We could do anything. And that's what's great. But it's also, yeah, we have to um, relearn how to trust it and find allies along the way who are also on the same path. Mm -hmm. Which is, I think, why I've been so happy in a way that Sober Curious has That term has really helped a lot of people, I think, who were on this path, privately, going through this painfully, privately, alone, Mm. now feel they have permission to speak openly about it and start to find each other.
0: Because it's the language of it that it's sober curious. It's not just like sober because people, so many friends that I have that have come to me recently and they're like going through their own journey and they're not quite there because Mm. it does, it takes a really long time. It really does, yeah. But And then I've said to listen to it because it's like the fact that it's curious. It's like you're not committing to anything. Yeah. And I think that's what it's about as well. It's like you're not having to completely erase something from your life. It's just about being curious about the alternative option, really.
1: Exactly. And getting really educated. This is an extremely toxic, psychoactive drug, one of the five most addictive substances on the planet. Mm. And I've just been using it without legal. questioning it. I mean, I'm not definitely not pro-prohibition. If anything, I'm more on the the side of all drugs should be legal. We should just have proper education mm-hmm. about what they actually do. Um, but again, that's kind of a whole other conversation. But yeah, really it's about Let's get really educated, not only about these substances and how they impact us, but let's get really educated about what our body is telling us, what our emotional needs are, how to properly communicate with each other, what we need, etc. Mm. all the things that we're not taught in school, basically. Oh, God, yeah. That's I so want to touch enormous. on the dating thing, though, because we skimmed oh, yeah. over that and it's huge. And part of the reason I skim over it is because I haven't been on a date since like 1998 or 1999, <laughs> which is when I met my husband. So you don't know what it's like to do so uh, no, although I will tell you, even with my husband, we've been, we actually met 21 years ago last week. <laughs> but um, going on our first sober date together was so awkward. And it was probably... About 10 years ago, like, you know, when I first started experimenting or getting curious myself, I would say to him, you know, maybe this Friday night, let's do something else. And I think we went to the theater or something, which just felt so grown up to me at the time. It's like, oh, we're going to go to the theater and not to the pub. And um, it kind of felt really awkward. We knew each other so well by that point. You know, we've always had a real sort of soulmate connection. Um, but I felt like a teenager and I realized I felt the way I would have if I'd have been 14, which is around the age that I started drinking, that part of me hadn't developed the part of me that's like, how do I act around boys without alcohol? Because I'd been using alcohol in all of my kind of romantic situations. I mean, I then said I went on to have a relationship with someone who kind of banned me from drinking. Mm. So that was a whole other thing, but it was, we sort of had to relearn how to talk to each other and how to laugh and have fun and now he doesn't drink at all either and we have actually I would say we're actually closer and we have a more intimate and trusting relationship than we ever have Mm. which is amazing but it definitely wasn't without its own (laughs) kind of uncomfortable parts yeah yeah because
0: I guess like people you know it gives you duct courage and it sort of eases the sort of awkwardness of of dating which is always there anyway but I also think looking at it I had an experience quite recently where I went and met someone at the pub for a drink who was someone I had dated a while ago. Well, not even that long ago. It was like a year and a half ago. And at the time, a year and a half ago, I sort of was really, really into him. And automatically what would happen with me is like I wouldn't be drinking, wouldn't be drinking. And then I'd meet someone romantically and everything would go out the window. Mm. I would just behave exactly how they did because I wanted to fit in with them. I wanted mm. them to like me. Mm. And it would—it was insane how I could literally go for like months not drinking. And then suddenly I was back to my old ways immediately. And I did that with him. And I noticed, I was like, you know, it's not a good sign. But this time when I went to meet him, I didn't drink. And we had nothing in common. <laughs> it was really <laughs> awkward. We had nothing to oh, talk no. about. But afterwards I was like, I'm not interested in that person. Good, we have see? nothing in common. exactly, And that's totally fine. Yeah, But like... Before I would have been like, well, I'll drink to it and I'll then, you know, go out with him and and go and do things that I don't want to do that don't fit with who I am anymore. And it was so liberating to be like, yeah, he's like a gorgeous guy, but we're not, you know. We're not compatible. No, we're not compatible.
1: Because, yeah, if you'd have had a drink with him, maybe you'd have snogged him, whatever. Maybe then for the next few weeks you'd have been in this weird texting thing, this weird battle with your intuition of like, do I like him? Does he like me? Like all of that mental anguish Mm. when you're just not compatible and that's fine. Mm.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so
1: yeah, I think that you know, a friend of mine, she's always like you wouldn't get drunk on a job interview. And if you're <laughs> genuinely if you're genuinely if you're dating to have to potentially meet someone you want to have a relationship with, getting drunk in that situation, you're not you're not finding out what the deal is on their Mm-mm. end. You're not presenting your best or true self necessarily so it's it's just a bit of a false economy yeah Mm. exactly (laughs) 100% well I I mean I would say from
0: when we start drinking at quite a young age it's sort of contradictory to what everything we've been saying but there's so much of it that allows us to be ourselves and that I think we develop this association with alcohol that I'm like well I relax more I let my guard down and that I am a bit more authentically me so What would you say about
1: people that are like struggling with that? Because it is this sort of contradiction, really. Well, the piece to know about that, and it comes up in the dating piece as well. What alcohol very specifically does in our brain is it switches off the part of our brain that monitors what other people are thinking of us. Mm. So with that piece of our brain disabled, we feel like it's okay to be ourselves because we're no longer worried about what other people are thinking about how we're behaving. The key is to find ways to be that self without having to put a toxic chemical into your brain that could cause addiction problems later in your life. And how do people do that? Well, multiple different ways by putting yourself in those situations without alcohol and realizing if I don't feel comfortable being myself around these people, these are not my people, people. (laughs) right? Brene Brown talks about um, something that I found very
0: interesting because I think my whole life I've wanted everybody to like me. And when people would say things like, not everybody's going to like you. It would fill me with you. I'd be like, but everyone has to like me. And I think a lot of people will relate to that. But yeah. she says, um, she was like, who is your everybody? She was like, be very considerate about who mm. your everybody is. Mm. And of course, we all think everybody is everybody. Especially if, in social media world. Exactly. <laughs> but if you actually just think about what your values are and what you stand for and what makes you you in your best form and then pick your everybody based around five people that inspire you whether they're people you know Mm. or you don't know Mm. and then relating your behavior to like do I care what they think not what like the idiots down the pub think that aren't going anywhere with their lives like what do those people that inspire me and mean something to me think of my behavior Mm -hmm. and I think that's quite an interesting way of like helping people with that need for fitting in and validation yeah
1: and for the need for belonging and for feeling like it's okay to be myself and of course there are so many things that can impact our ability to feel confident to be yourself and one of the you know I I shared earlier that I used alcohol to be more confident to be more extroverted Mm. and in a way I can be that person when I'm around people that I completely trust but it's taken me a long time to realize that because for so long I had been outsourcing my self-confidence to alcohol. So when I removed it, I felt like I was I petrified that. that I would be totally introverted, wouldn't never ever know what to say, would never be able to get on the dance floor, like all these things I kind of thought that alcohol was helping me to do. But ultimately, and this has been one of the biggest, I call it the confidence paradox. I feel so much more confident mm. without alcohol because I know exactly who I am. I know exactly what's coming out of my mouth. I know exactly if this conversation is pissing me off, I'm just leaving. Mm. Bye. Like, and no. also, <laughs> I've, you're, you're quicker as yes. well.
0: what? so conversation and stuff, you're also like fully present because yes. you're not sitting there being like, okay, where's my next drink? Like what? Because that becomes like the aim of the evening often and then it's like oh I feel better and more confident but to the other person you're speaking to yeah you don't care what they think anymore because that part of your (laughs) brain shut down but they probably think you're an idiot you know what I mean whereas if you're fully in yourself and fully engaged and present in that moment they're gonna think you're great and if they don't then like say what Exactly.
1: So what? And this is like, this is why I love astrology. I do a a talk actually on the astrology of addiction, which is so niche, but so interesting. Mm. And it's kind of where my two worlds collide in a way. But one of the reasons I love astrology is that in learning to read our own birth chart and to understand our kind of cosmic factory settings in a way, we can see where where our confidence might have been not and we can see where we actually have gifts that we can lean into if we sort of develop other parts of ourselves and put ourselves in situations or choose a path for ourselves that actually supports who we truly are. Astrology is an amazing tool for self-awareness and self-discovery in that sense because again, you know, if you... You look a certain way in the kind of society that we live in and you have a certain kind of a family. There are so many expectations about, like you said, the kind of relationship you should be in, the kind of job you should do, the kind of clothing you should wear, what shape your body should be. Having all those expectations placed on us is ultimately what kills our confidence and it's ultimately what prevents us from feeling like it's okay to be our true self. And so... Being able to really acknowledge what all of that conditioning is and who we are on a soul level underneath what we look like, underneath the circumstances that we were born into, etc. Connecting to that in whatever ways we can through meditation, yoga, yes, of course, but also through dance and also through amazing conversations and also through therapy and all of these different things. Ultimately, the goal, I don't really like thinking about goals because I think everything is kind of circular and just an ongoing exploration, but ultimately, this is about a path of really getting okay, like really, really okay with saying no to what doesn't service mm-hmm. and pursuing what truly does. And I think astrology does give this sort of beautiful guidance
0: that you can sort of take and leave whatever parts of it you want, but in, in a space that otherwise can feel a little bit unknown,
1: yeah, the intuitive path is an unknown path. There is, like, mm. the answer is unfolding in front of us. <laughs> mm. And we have to, again, it's that trust thing, like, am I trusting what feels right? Okay. We can only feel what feels right when we're clear and present as well, you know?
0: Mm. And also <laughs> that just even speaking to people and them saying you're going through this part of life or, like, this is happening because of this, like, some people might be listening and thinking oh, it's utter rubbish, but actually that gives you a bit more like, okay, this is happening because of this rather than it just being chaotic. And I think that's why there's such an attraction towards this world at the moment more than ever. It's kind of booming. Absolutely. And I think people are looking for something that's like a bit more mystical that they can still find purpose in.
1: Well, I think people are looking for perspective and that's what I love. Astrology allows you to kind of zoom out from whatever kind of chaos or difficulty or challenge you may be experiencing and sort of get a bird's eye view and just be like, okay, this is part of a much bigger picture. What I'm experiencing now, no matter how challenging, is a small part of my life, <laughs> you know. And in the in the grand scale of what I'm here to experience in this life, this is just a small kind of bump in the road. Mm. And I'm going to get through this. And I think astrology really helps provide that particularly we don't necessarily turn to organized religion for that anymore but we Mm. used to society when i say we society used to use organized religion for that same function and we still have an an innate
0: need for something Mm. spiritual Mm -hmm. in our lives and i think that there's just a movement that's going towards this as you know people aren't perhaps connecting to the traditional religious exactly as
1: they used to exactly but it's giving us the same it's fulfilling the same need like you say which is this need to to understand that our lives are part of something bigger and that we are actually all connected in a bigger way than mm. than we can actually see in our day-to-day lives
0: 100% well i mean this has been such a, a beautiful conversation for me to have and i'm so so pleased that you we're here. I mean, also, we we'll just explain to the listeners. It was we were supposed to have someone come, someone else come on, who's going to be doing it at a later date. And I just was sitting in the bath, and I thought, and I knew that Ruby lived in New York, and I just suddenly had this feeling. Message her because she's going to be in London next week. <laughs> And you were, and so I'm so, so happy that we got to do this and sit here in my sitting room and that I got to have this conversation with you, so thank you.
1: Yeah, me too. And that's a great example, isn't it, of when intuition calls, Mm -hmm. just follow the call. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thank you for having me.
0: So Ruby has just left and we had such a deep and beautiful conversation and it's strange actually because podcasts when you've been listening to them for so long you really do feel like you know someone on a on a deep and personal level even though we'd never met before and I must say the conversation was just incredible for me I've I've had that conversation in my head so many times and we really went in on some quite you know complicated stuff and she was so open and honest about her own experience especially talking about her abusive relationship and how that stopped her from drinking and then how, you know, it began to be a way of her being herself. And I think that that's something we can all relate to. Um, Also about how alcohol shuts down the part of your brain that makes you care what people think. Again, something that we probably know, but actually hearing that it really does do that on a physical level is just fascinating. And when we talked about dating and friendships and how, you know, this journey that you go on, if you do make these decisions to get sober, how they're it brings up stuff on quite a deep level and, and just having that conversation with her and having that realization that, that it's normal and that things that I'm experiencing are, you know, part of this process was very um, comforting for me. I guess a lot of what mine and Ruby's conversation was about did make me reflect on what Flo said at the top of the episode about Saturn ruling responsibility, boundaries and limits. Because so much of it was about confronting things in ourselves that are quite difficult and painful and really having to own up to, to the truth of who we are. You know, that can be a difficult transition to go through, but it's a necessary step. If you want to hear more about what Ruby has to say, you can find her on Instagram at Ruby Warrington and listen to her podcast and read her book, which are both called Sober Curious. Saturn Returns is a Feast Collective production. The producer is Hannah Varrell and executive producer is Kate Taylor. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. For me, the aim of this podcast is to unify us in a time that can be quite challenging and difficult and feel isolating. If you did enjoy this podcast, I would love it if you could share it with someone you think might find it useful. So until next time, thank you so much for listening. And remember,
1: you are not alone. Goodbye.